and to be part of what is an opportunity to create a much better future that is greener, that is fairer, that is better for, for everyone. You're listening to Hope Act Thrive by Be The Future, an inspirational podcast for guardians of the next generation who want to nurture heroic leaders for environmental change. Just like you, we want to create a better, greener, fairer future for the kids in our life. Hi, I'm Sally Giblin, an environmentalist, writer, and parent, and co-host of this podcast, alongside the brilliant Helen Hill. Hi, I'm Helen, and I'm an educator, author, and designer. So Helen, when did you first start to care about the environment? I don't think there was one specific point for me. It was something that built over time and... When I was younger, I always loved the sea and the creatures in it. And I think a lot of it started there. But then when I left university, I went traveling and I went to Maya Bay in Thailand, where the beach was filmed. And I just saw the devastation that the tourism was causing and the people. And it just sort of started something in me that I just couldn't believe we could do something like that somewhere so beautiful. And that's where then as an adult, I started getting into all this stuff, really. And it's just snowballed from there I think how about you what what was your first kind of moment of starting to care or was it always there well I think what you're saying resonates a lot because growing up in Australia and you know so much nature around and the beach it was always a huge part of growing up and spending lots of time outdoors and and caring about that and I guess when it sort of shifted gears to really trying to, to take action to protect it and understanding more about the real challenges of the environment, probably was more when I started watching documentaries and those really opened my eyes to what's what's really happening. And one of the ones for me was the War and Waste series, which was in both Australia and the UK, different versions. And I think just it just it was like a light bulb thing of going, what are we actually doing in terms of how we're cycling through things, how we're using things in our lives? And it started the the whole idea of doing more. And then I guess over the years, I've gotten more and more into really understanding, you know, the climate crisis and I think experiencing things firsthand. When I w- went back and um, visited Australia and, and was there when the catastrophic bushfires were happening, worst bushfires ever in mm. the country, and, and realising, you know, the intensity of those fires and the frequency of those fires is being ramped up by climate change, that for me was really the moment to, to really get more into climate action. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, actually, because I think that's something that I've not experienced that impact. I've not lived somewhere where there's been something like a tsunami or, you know, the bushfires like you mentioned and earthquakes and all these things that are picking up pace. And I feel like I've been quite isolated from that. So my introduction has been more about me visiting other places and, like I say, my love of the sea, even though I'm nowhere near it. Mm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think... It's a really interesting story of, of how people get into it from different ways, really. But you living in Australia, obviously, there, there's quite a lot of different things there, isn't there, with the creatures and the oceans and the, the different lifestyle. Absolutely. But I think I think it's interesting, though, that people can definitely have lots of different paths into mm. caring more and wanting to take more action around it and want to protect nature. And I think especially with young kids, 
naturally, a lot of young kids are really interested in the outdoors and, and little creatures <laughs> and animals and nature. And I think that that love of nature is often an inherent thing. And then if you nurture that more and more, studies have shown that then children grow to want to protect nature. So I think there's, there's lots of different entry points. Yeah. And that's all part of people's, you know, individual experiences and stories. And then what can lead them into doing different things or being involved in, in lots of different ways. Yeah. And I think those community action points are going to be so important now because a lot of what we see in the media is the larger scale stuff. And like I say, based on things like oceans and things. And when you're not in an environment that experiences that, you feel quite removed from those experiences and the action you can take and I think so, so it, it becomes more about the little community actions I think and, and how you can educate as to even if you live inland your behavior can still impact the waterways and the, the larger scale really. Yeah something you touched on there about feeling removed I think is a, a really important point because mm. You know, with supply chains the way they are today, you know, where food is produced and how many steps it then goes through in terms of <laughs> growing and harvesting or, you know, transporting, packaging into supermarkets, all the all the things. And when you're standing there in a supermarket and you've got 50 different types of breakfast cereal, you are so removed from where those <laughs> grains perhaps came from, you know, potentially from the other side of the world, maybe even ingredients from multiple places in the world. It's something we're just not educated about. And certainly our generation wasn't anyway. Hopefully it is starting to feed through to, you know, the next generation. But we weren't told about that process and the cycle that everything goes through and to consider not just the where the ingredients are coming from but the people who are working at you know the minimum wage and the if if that and the way they're being treated and a huge thing for me that's come out of my learnings of the last year is the inequality in relation to the climate and our supply chains and every aspect of eco and food supplies and everything there is a huge disparity there that is so true about how interwoven environmental justice and social justice are and you can't actually separate the two and no. I mean I look back at my experience and I over the years have been so involved in so many different social initiatives very um, passionate about raising people up and really trying to improve people's lives but even through all of those experiences and that study it always felt like the, the people was separated from the environmental part. And mm. it's only been through having other experiences like the Climate Reality Leader program that we both did and, and really starting to understand how interwoven it all is that it's all clicking together and it all makes so much sense. And I think one of the biggest examples that really hit home for me was hearing how so often where people who are more disadvantaged or deprived are living is where a lot of the environmental problems are, are much more acute. And an example of this would be what's called Cancer Alley in Louisiana in the United States. And essentially this is largely a community of colour of African-Americans and it's where there's an immense amount of petrochemical plants. There's over 150 oil refineries, plastic plants and chemical facilities and it's having a hugely negative impact on this community's health, 
environmental as well as economic impacts and it's causing a huge amount of cancer and respiratory diseases and the UN actually refers to this situation as environmental racism that absolutely must end. And so, you know, taking action on being able to improve these, these issues and do things better and change the way that we're creating products, the, the way that we're creating energy, all those sorts of things also helps to improve people's lives if the transition that, that comes about is all about raising them up and able to go into these new opportunities and, and the new ways of doing things too. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one thing I would say about that as well is, because I'm sure there's going to be some listeners that feel the same, is I still feel all, that that is all very overwhelming and I don't even understand a fraction of it. That When we did that climate reality program, it really opened my eyes as to the actual scale of all the problems out there and you know, that is what very much raises the equal anxiety but at the same time you, you know it, it inspires action in you but that's not unusual to feel totally overwhelmed by all that it's just, it really is a step-by-step -step process to learn about this stuff isn't it it's one little thing at a time because you just couldn't take it all in or do all the action at once and that, that admittedly is something that I still have not learned a lot about yet I you know that that is a, a big step I need to take but I think you know I think it's so natural to feel like that and mm. and I absolutely do too and I know we're at you know slightly different points in, in our journeys but mm. no matter what there is always more to learn and more to come across and I think you know to be active in this space or to care about this space you don't have to know all the things yeah. and I think one of the things I've loved the most that I've come across is this whole idea of finding your climate agency. Yeah. So there's a brilliant framework by Dr. Ayana Elizabeth, and it's essentially about where to find your place to take meaningful action on the climate crisis. And mm -hmm. there are three key questions that she gets you to ask yourself. Firstly, what brings you joy? Secondly, what are you good at? And thirdly, what is the work that most needs doing? And where you find an intersection of those three things is where you can find where you can take meaningful action. And I think this framework resonates with me so much because the previous business that I was working on for, for quite a while, the co-founder, was all about making fashion more circular. And even though there was lots about that I loved and it was, it was creative and there was you know, a real problem to be solved there and a real customer need. I found that in the end, I didn't want to be working on fashion. For me, that wasn't personally a thing that I wanted to be talking about, thinking about day mm. in, day out. And I think what I'm loving now about working with you, Helen, on, on <laughs> Be The Future and what we're creating is that it's all about constantly learning these new things and, you know, creating content and helping to bring awareness and helping to inspire and bring hope and, and writing. And for me, that is much more my sweet spot of what gives me joy. And so I feel like, you know, the gamut of issues that there are or opportunities that there are to get involved in this societal shift we need to have around, you know, the climate crisis, the biodiversity crisis means that there are many different places that you can choose to become involved in and learn more about that particular area. And even though, of course, you want to have some sort of understanding of, of the broader things, you don't have to know all the things to mm. be involved in this space. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one thing with me is obviously that I am quite early in the journey. It's only 
the last couple of years that I've started taking proper action, what I would call proper action, rather than, you know, the bits I've done in the past of just making sure I recycle properly and things like that, because that's such a small like tip of the iceberg. I really had to rein myself in, I think, from trying to do all the things because that's what I do in my business and everything <laughs> else. I, I want to do all the things and I want to learn about everything. And I had to really look at but what do I care most about right now? And for me, that was the oceans and plastics. And that's why I did the X-Expedition tour, um, which for anyone that hasn't heard of that, is about looking at the plastic pollution in the oceans and the effect of it on the human body, particularly women's, because it can affect all kinds of things, like fertility cycles and, and all sorts. And they're doing amazing research into that. Sadly, COVID put a slight dint on that in that instead of actually being on a boat in the ocean, we had to do it virtually, but it was still a fantastic opportunity. So that was where I found my agency. And that's what, you know, I, we've been focusing on, haven't we, at the, at the start, like because we both love the oceans. But around that, then I learn about other things that are impacted by the ocean or that are impacting the ocean. And it is it, it does open up your eyes to a lot, even if you just focus on one thing, for sure. Absolutely. And I think something you touched on earlier too is that overwhelm as you start mm. to understand more about this and, and, and you know, take the time to, to get immersed more. And I think, you know, having those feelings, whether it's overwhelm or, or fear or despair, wh wherever it might be, whatever emotions you're feeling, I think, you know, it's, it's really good to recognise that that's so normal because oh, and, it, yeah. and it's an appropriate response to, to, what it, to what is happening. And I think one of the things I've come across that I really think is so helpful is to try and, and use those emotions, really recognise them, but then use those emotions to, to sort of navigate through and then to try and take action and to, you know, try and find a community of people that resonates for you because there's all sorts of mm. communities out there of all sorts of different people tackling this in different ways and find a community, you know, because it's so much easier doing it with other people than to do it alone and to recognise that there are many, many people having these thoughts and feelings. And I think one of the things that I came across recently that I found so inspiring is that, there's actually a whole lot more people who care about this than I ever actually realised. There's a yeah. survey by the Global Commons Alliance, which I think last month just found that 74% of people in the world's wealthiest nations, so the G20, want climate crises and protecting nature prioritised over jobs and profit. And when you think about that stat, 74% is enormous. And I think, mm. you know, one of the things is that we don't, often we don't talk about all of this enough. And I think, you know, it can feel like this is such a, a meaty topic or it can feel like people have different views and so we don't actually touch on it. But actually under the surface, there's probably a lot more people in our lives who care about this than we actually realise. So, Helen, yeah. why do you care about the next generation and their future world? Yeah, this is a quite, a quite interesting question for me, isn't it? Because I don't have children. Um, so I think that's one thing that people look at me thinking, well, why are you doing this? Why are you involved? But at the end of the day, I have a nephew and I've worked with children and I, I just care about the planet. And I just think we have such a responsibility to make sure that they get the same opportunities we have and they have the same life we have. Why should they get it worse than us and have to 
they shouldn't have to fix what we've done, I think is is the thing in my head. Um, you know, what all our previous generations have done in terms of the damage to the planet and where we've got ourselves in now needing to pull everything back. And because I see them step up and I have pride in that and I and I think they deserve the rest of us to put in as much effort as we can to now rebuild their future and make sure that it's it's safe really. Absolutely. And I love that answer because I think you don't have to have children yourself to care about the future of that next generation. And, and you can be involved in all different ways, whether you are uh, a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, a family member, a friend, you know, that there's all different reasons why you can care. And I guess for me as a parent, one of my biggest motivators is my son, who is now five. And I think, you know, one of the things that as a, a parent, you can relate on no matter what your political beliefs or, you know, life experiences is that you want the best for your child. And I think that's one of the things that we can try and connect on with many different people, you know, across those different lines. And, you know, for me, this is just one of the most important things that we can do for our children and for that next generation. And I think we also, like you said, Helen, have a responsibility to fix the wrongs of the past and mm. to make sure that we do just create that, that better future for everyone and have that legacy of, of leaving that better world. Yeah, that's, that's so true. What do you actually find the biggest challenge with trying to educate your son on, on the eco journey? I want to make sure that I inspire him and, and help him to understand the issues and help him to, you know, do things in everyday life that, that are part of that, that better future and better effort. But I'm also very conscious of not wanting to scare him. Yes. And I think our children obviously have all been through so much in the last year and a half with the pandemic as well. There's already a lot more that's been put on their shoulders over and above challenges of everyday life and different circumstances that all different sorts of people have. And so I think that's why I'm so passionate about trying to find the optimism and the hope and the inspiration in this whole movement mm. because no matter what, our children are going to hear those doom-ridden headlines or they'll hear things in the playground or they'll come across things or they'll experience it firsthand. And so I don't believe that we need to be putting a whole lot of that out there for these, for these young children. I feel like what we need to do is try and show them a way to navigate through that really, really tough stuff as that, that does pop up for them and find that space and that motivation to really get involved in a positive way and be part of what is an opportunity to create a much better future that is greener, that is fairer, that is better for, for everyone. Yeah, and so a really nice thing you picked up on there when you were saying about trying to help him navigate through the tough stuff. One thing I actually noticed at the start of the pandemic was, you know, we were all so worried about the children and how they were going to react to it. And, and sure, some have found it really tough, but I've also been really inspired by some of the kids that have really had a different perspective on it. Like my nephew, we're really worried about the impact on him. He'd just started school during during COVID and things. But actually, when, when my sister made a comment about 
the year, you know, it being a bad year, he said, oh, I've loved it. I've spent more time with mummy. And, and it was a totally different perspective to have had. And he loved wow. homeschooling. And I just think if our kids can grow up, you know, understanding this stuff, they actually have amazing empathy and a totally different outlook to us sometimes. We, we're seeing all the fear and they do see the good. And I really hope that we can foster that. I really do. And I, and I hope with Be The Future, we can help parents take that approach and see see it through the kids' eyes sometimes because it does help ease some of the anxiety. That's such a good point. Absolutely. Mm. And I think one of the things I know that, that we often do as a family is gratitude. And, you know, we'll just go around, you know, I've also got <laughs> my husband and we'll go around and just say three things we're grateful for. And it helps to just focus on the good. Even if you've had the worst day, so much has gone wrong, all the things, if you can just try and focus on some of the good, it helps you to then be thinking about that and and be on that rather than letting yourself kind of get lost in that spiral of all the things that go wrong because you can always focus on that stuff too. Yeah. And I suppose that's that angle is actually how we met, isn't it? That we met through a hashtag, um, tackle the crisis, which was which is about looking at the positive news about the planet and the climate. And it's so important to try and look at that stuff as well as or instead of the doom and gloom, because the doom and gloom creates inaction. Whereas if you can see really positive outcomes, it makes you want to do more and it makes you want to get involved and and it does give you hope for, for the next generation. Absolutely, because no matter what, the the doom headlines is always going to be out there. And so I think being able to, to see where the opportunities are, where you can get involved, where there are great solutions that are already here or solutions coming, it helps just give you that hope about the future and what is to come. And if we can really help our kids to see that and frame things in terms of that, it's going to help immensely in terms of navigating through this climate emergency. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We really hope this episode inspired you. If it did, please review, subscribe and share this episode with a curious friend. It makes it possible for us to keep having these conversations for you. Oh, and check out the show notes for more details on this episode. And come say hi to us on Instagram over at bethefuture.earth, where we share real tips for real parents and help you to turn eco-anxiety into playful action. Let's hope, act and thrive.